Canterbury fails. Their Canterbury fails. Probably never read them. The Canterbury fails. Might be moralistic or boring. Might be rhetorically soaring. Their Canterbury fails. Yeah. All right. Welcome to episode the tenth. Ten. Not, I'm, not, I'm, not I'm, eleven. I was wrong last time, but this time I'm correct. It is episode ten. And once again, we're a week uh, delayed because once again I suck. So it's no, an ongoing theme. No, I think this is going to happen. I think this is you know we're we're getting yeah. into the summer months. We're going to be traveling. We're going to be doing other stuff. Uh, the Canterbury. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is my life. The, can- <laughs> the Canterbury. The Canterbury fails. Uh, is here for you, but it might not be here for you every two weeks. But it certainly will be here for you every two weeks starting in September. Um, because we are going to lock it down. We've got to find a whole new set of texts for season two. In any event... <laughs> That's bold. bold. We might not get renewed. Oh, I think we'll get renewed. Our sponsors are, uh, you know, they're already thinking we're going to obscure. But I don't know. Not, I don't, no, what, maybe this not week, today. This is this popular is, stuff. This is really interesting. So uh, for today's Canterbury Fail, I decided, you know, and once again, this is in response to your uh, sort of evergreen complaint that... The, the the old English stuff always ends up looking worse than the Middle English stuff. And so I said, no, I mean to give you Middle English stuff that is going to be the absolute epitome of boring. And so I went for the three most boring things I could think of. Boring thing number one, prose treatise. Okay, prose treatise. That does that doesn't that doesn't get the juices flowing. No. Boring thing number two, and you know, with all apologies to many of my colleagues, the fifteenth century. <laughs> Always, always a bad zone. There's not much going on in the 15th. There's a lot going love. on in the 15th century. Not that I like no, that. I know that's where I feel. I, you know, don't. I'm, it's, it's fine. Okay, okay, okay. Boring thing number three. Fishing. Okay, we're fighting over that because I I no, grew it's, up but it's fishing. Beautifully boring. And I'm this a, is one I'm of the things. This is person. one of the things that has become clear to me after reading this week's Canterbury Fail, a treatise of fishing with an angle. Uh huh. Who's it by? Well, let me tell you a little bit about this text. <laughs> why don't I settle in? Yeah, why don't you settle in? We're going to get to these icy cold delicious drinks. They won't be icy cold for long. <laughs> By the fine. time you finish. I'm going to blast Like all this. 15th century shit, it's going to go real long. <laughs> it's going to be slow, guys. I'm going to take it slowly. In the beginning. All right, so this is attributed... Uh, to a woman by the name of Julian Berners or Barnes or Baroness, uh, who was an English woman who died, we think, in around 1460. The basis for that claim, and it is a very tenuous claim, is an attribution passage at the end of the 1486 print edition of the Book of St. Albans, the so-called Book of St. Albans, which is titled Bookus of Hulking, Hunting, and Blazing of Armus, printed by an unknown schoolmaster at St. Albans School. Um, there's an explicit in that that reads uh, Dom Julianus Barnus in her Book of Hunting. And so there's a name, right? Yeah, there is. We, we, we attribute texts to people with far less than a colophon, right? He, far less than an explicit. And, and I am probably more willing to say that the books on hunting, hawking, and blazing of arms may in fact be Julian 
barns or bairns. We don't quite know. But I'll, I'll get to why the fishing one may or may not be. Um, because what happens is this was, this was printed in 1486, the Book of St. Albans, by an unknown schoolmaster. It was subsequently reprinted by uh, a repeat offender here on the Canterbury Fails. Oh, that's my phone. That's great. Uh, a repeat offender here on the Canterbury Fails, Winkin DeWord, uh, famed English printer, uh, and uh, he reprinted it under the following title, uh, the pithy and very appropriate for the 15th century, this present book showeth the manner of hawking and hunting and also the devising of coat armors. It showeth also a good matter belonging to horses with other commendable treatises and furthermore the blazing of arms as hereafter it may appear. <laughs> okay, so everyone, if you don't know the 15th century... You just learned almost everything you need to know. That was the title. That so you can only fit neatly on the spine. You of can a ten by five centimeter volume. You can only imagine if that's the title, that everything else is so long winded, so just like ramifyingly rambling. There is, there is, a, as, as you said. well know, a brilliant, brilliant article by David Lawton, and its title is dullness in the 15th century <laughs> and he talks about dullness as a strategy by which to communicate Critic i mean it's a, it's a great article and it tries to resuscitate uh the sort of dullness into something purposeful i, I get it like i understand what's going it's on there it's, it's like, i don't feel, it's I don't like, feel it it's like <laughs> to be on point it's like cod liver oil it's good for you <laughs> But it ain't good. It's not going to be as good as this thing well, that we'll is waiting see, in the wings. I'm a master of terrible cocktails. You know that that is what I do. Well, so in any event, Julian uh, Julian became, in Winkin de Words, uh, prolixly titled volume, uh, Julianus Baroness, with an E-S at the end. The supposition is that Julian Burns or Barnes or Burners may have been the prioress of Sopwell Nunnery, which is located near St. Albans in Hertfordshire, England just to the north of London. Uh, she may also have been the daughter of Sir James Berners of Essex, um, but we don't have any records of her. There is, however, a gap in the records of Sopwell Priory from 1430 to 1480. So if there is a Julian, that's where she is. That's where she is sitting. But there is also, and this is what's interesting here, an earlier manuscript edition, handwritten edition, and that's what we're reading here. Oh. The handwritten... Yeah, I don't go in for print. No, I didn't want to do print. It Come all on. goes downhill when the print is <laughs> crossing the minute. That's what I'm saying. Winkin' your word drove English literature into the ground. Um, the, the, so the version we're looking at is a manuscript edition, and that Winkin added to the St. Albans book in his second edition. So he found it. He found it, he added it too, and it still was there for, it still was there under Julian Berner's name. Right. So it's it's probably not hers, it's probably something else. It's possible that it is. I mean, I, I guess it's there it are certainly like there, are, there are certainly no textual clues that it is uh, male or female, a nope. writer. Um there is a first person, I, that pops up from time to time. But it, it's there. There's nothing there to. There's nothing there to to give any indication okay. of, of 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 gender, of sex, of any of this stuff, right? Okay. I, okay. And so, the Beinecke, which uh, now owns this manuscript, this manuscript passed from antiquarian to antiquarian, um, and it ended up at Yale's Beinecke Library. Um, it it only gives the dates 1400 to 1500 for it. Like that's how. 
uncertain it is sure. about how sure. it wants to date it. Sure. And so we really don't know. It's on paper. Uh, it's written in a single hand, uh, 15th century secretary hand. Okay. Um, and it was rebound in the 19th century. So that's what we know about it. The, 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 the language is... The language suggests me a rather late date. It is late. And, it, and the spelling is much more... I mean, this is one that I think, you know, would not require, uh, you know, stiff course in Middle English... Uh, to, to, no. to get behind it, no. it's there's quite some, straightforward although there's a lot of really interesting vocabulary that's you know that's specific totally specific to the topic also the names of fish well that's what I mean like Which, different yeah. kind of worms different kind of fish yep. different kinds of you know stuff yep. like that but it is I mean it's a fairly I, I think it's fair to say that it is probably 15th century that it is certainly 15th century and it's more more likely than not mid to late 15th century um, the yeah, language right. the hand sure. all sort of suggest that um, in terms of its criticism and its afterlife, um, it's had a somewhat interesting one. Really? Uh, on the one hand, there Something is... interesting in the Canterbury Fail? Well, uh, yeah. You're breaking the fucking rules. Wait for it. I know. <laughs> no, it is a Canterbury Fail by virtue of its scholarly afterlife, which is to say that I have found two uh, discussions, scholarly discussions of this treatise both of them by the same person, and really one of them is derived from the other one. And what are you? Oh, that was my dog. Sorry, guys. Um, That's our third podcaster, yeah, as you know. He it's is Appa. really after Matt's bag. No, he's after is, those balls. I think. Oh God, I'm trying to keep the squeaky balls from. Um, so the the um, th- this is a guy named Matt Logis. Um, oh. Matt Logis wrote his PhD dissertation in 1992 oh, um, Matt, in Oklahoma. You might be the listener. He might be listening. Maybe he's going to hear this. Get now. in touch, buddy. Let's talk. <laughs> That's right. Um, so he wrote his dissertation on this in uh, 1992 and then published in the Journal of Technical Writing and Communication in 1994 an excerpt of that dissertation or a revised portion of that dissertation sure. in which he approached it as a sort of forebear of modern technical manual writing. Right. So I mean, it is generically that's it not is generically off. really quite interesting in that it does this kind of work. It tells you how to make a fishing rod. It tells you yeah. how to make you know, and so forth. How to dye horse tails and what seasons to use them in. I mean, I actually yeah. ended up being kind of charmed by this text. But in terms of we'll its, get to that. In terms of its scholarly reception, Max is he's the man. Like if you want to talk about this with somebody, Max is your guy. Max. So Max, you know, again, call us. Um, we'd be happy to hear from sure. you. Sure. Um, we need experts. However, fishing people, which will not surprise you, are all the fuck over this. Thing. I'm sure they, they are, are all over it. And so there are apparently multiple burners fishing clubs around North America oh, no and in I England. It. it gets excerpted and anthologized in various like historical angling collections. It's celebrated as the first treatise on angling. Um, I, I ran across a website that describes it as encapsulating the soul of modern angling. This? Like, yeah, this. So, I mean, it, it has it's done... Kind it, of, okay. it has a kind of popular afterlife, which is unusual sure. for us. For, for a medieval text. To, the, <laughs> to sure. the point where it was republished, translated, in full, in Sports Illustrated, in the late 1950s. Do you know what? Yeah. Juliana Berners has something on Chaucer because I don't think Geoffrey no. made his way into the SI world very No, often. they didn't, you know, they didn't do treatise on the astrolabe or something <laughs> like that in there. No, but I mean so so it's it's had this kind of I think it has a kind of uh, sort of popular niche that it appeals to. Well, you know um, how like 
amateurs can be, right? Like these are the lovers of their their disport, as she calls them, and and this is clearly one of those texts. It's like, look, we've got a pedigree, we yeah. go way back. Fly fishermen are super cool, etc. Well, and what's great is that when you read this stuff, when you read the sort of popular, you know, again, amateur criticism yeah, yeah. of it, it's learned, it's thoughtful, it's fascinating, and it's really trying to place this in a pedigree that you and I, as you know, professional medievalists at a university, right. are not do. particularly interested in yeah, or we don't do think it. about. But it places it in this other kind of alternative tradition for which it has a really important purchase. And yeah. so I, I, I sort of came to appreciate it. And reading through some of these things, you know, there there is some really interesting, you know, the, the sort of solitude of the angler, the quiet meditative... The sort of practice, she's very into this yeah. and and really lays that down. Right. So I think when you find a kind of popular source, or popular, but a, a sort of niche source that says, you know, this encapsulates the soul of modern fly fishing or this encapsulates the soul of angling, I think that's what it's talking about. It and 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 one of the things I really enjoyed when I read this, and maybe this is where we get to to the the text, but we should get to the drink soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, is is what this thing is doing and how it does fit into that pedigree, not yeah. ours, because in ours, this isn't literary. This isn't. It's not interesting for its language. Yeah. It's, it's interesting for some of its habits of thought. I think. Yeah. Um, but. This is not unlike sure. some of these, like a, a teachable text. It's not one of those things where you're going to like bring it into a classroom and and fly have it. someone build a fly <laughs> rod based on her instructions. That looked hard. I, oh my god, not. it looked really hard. I mean, the copy we have doesn't have the diagrams. No, there, which, the, the, so Winkins has the diagrams, and, <laughs> but I don't know. Bit. I don't know. Um, so am I introducing the cocktail? Introduce the cocktail because right. I've been talking long enough. Let's talk about the cocktail. All right, so. Um, this week, I didn't have a lot of time to uh, come up with a really creative sort of, you know, entree into the into the text. Um, it is simply a cocktail called the Angler. Well, there you and go. It's the Angler, but there is some interesting aspects to the Angler. Tell me about it. The Angler is uh, is a, is a recipe found in the 1930 Savoy cocktail book, right? Written by I can't remember his name, Henry Barrick or something. One of the sort of one of the sort of seminal figures of bartending and cocktailing. Um, so this is a book from the London Savoy Hotel, 1930. His cocktail recipes. Um, so it is a legit old school cocktail. The obviously the recipes in this 1930 book, which I took a look at um, in the you know original like images of the pages. Uh, you know they're pretty spare, as you might imagine. And this cocktail is increased is is complicated by the fact that it has as one of its main ingredients a liquor called Hercules. <laughs> Hercules appears to have been available in the twenties in London, but I don't think it was available beyond that much, and it doesn't survive anymore. And there is a avid speaking of amateurs, mm. there is this remarkable group of very scholarly cocktail aficionados. Mm -hmm. Right? Just like just like anglers. Yeah, I mean, that's it, what I mean. There, right? there may in fact be some overlap. Oh my God. Well here's the overlap because the so the these cocktail these cocktail aficionados, these literally cocktail scholars are doing legit research. They're looking at like publications from the twenties and thirties that mention Hercules. What is it? There's a long debate. It started as a lot of people thought it was an absinthe substitute. It is probably not. Um, it came more and more work was figured out that it is a 
vermouth-like. It's a fortified wine of okay. some sort, but its herbal infusion is yerba mate, <laughs> the South American caffeinated leafy thing. So it is a it is a it is a it is a, a fortified wine, um, yerba mate infused wine product, right? That we don't have anymore. So there's lots of reconstructions of recipes online. I plunged my way through numerous of them uh, and arrived at the version that we're having today. So it is the Angler. Yep. It is um, bitters, both orange and Angostura. It is Hercules and it is gin. Mm. Um, it's, I, you know, in proportions like a martini almost. Okay. But with a lemon twist. And I should mention here, first of all, that the lemon twist is uh, has been expertly cut into the shape of a fish. Yes. I would, I would because say Coley a, a, a kind was, of pike. Coley was, I hate the pike scares me. Coley was really pressing for like a dash of fish sauce in this, <laughs> a, a sardine float. I couldn't take it. I went straight with lemon. Um, anyway, the, it's, which it's is recommended, which is recommended. The lemon is, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually a lovely cocktail. It has a, a, a nice sort of amber glow. Yeah. Um, it has That's a nice. the yerba. And, um. The and lemon, the, the lemon oils are nice to, and on the nose. There's Good. a chaser of a, of a British mild, uh, beer. And the reason that there's a British mild chaser is because Juliana, throughout her many recipes for different kinds of dyes, which you can dye the horse hairs yep. to make your um, your fishing lines. Um, many of them use what's called small beer, which is uh, which is an elaborate other story. But um, it's the second runnings. It's a weaker beer. So a British mild is a very low alcohol beer. That's what we're using for our small beer. Cheers. Cheers. Chin chin. Mmm. I taste the yerba. Yeah. I taste the gin. There's a lot of gin. I mean, it's... <laughs> it is gin it's forward. It's very gin forward. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, ooh, yeah. yeah. It's very it's gin. It's going to be a short episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's a heavy... Or a really long one. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a 50, it's a 15th century episode. So let's talk about this. That right. actually quite good. There's the, the yerba has a... There is an earthiness to it. A little grassy. Yeah. A little it's, grassy. Almost, it's almost tobacco-y, if that makes some sense. Oh, Can like you that. taste that? Maybe so, yeah. It's pretty good. And then the, and then the sort of sharpness of the lemon... Yeah. I mean, the, the, I like the citrus bit. I like um, that. Um, All right. Yeah. So let's go. Let's talk about our fishing guide. Um, so you were mentioning this, and, and I think the thing that we sort of... We're, we're bouncing off each other a little bit, although we haven't talked about this very much... Um, is what I find particularly charming about this text. Charming is the right word. It is a charming little treatise, yeah. right? If you're going to read a treatise, it may as well charm. <laughs> um, it doesn't have literary style. You know, it doesn't have... There are moments, but they're few and far Well, between. we can talk about it. You can tell me those moments, but there's not a lot of moments where you're like, oh, the verbal fireworks here. Um, I mean, there's a lot of this text is take, you know half a pound of, you know, lime and sink right. it in this and or go out to your cow shed and lift up the cow patties and get the little worms. Those are great bait. So there is a lot of how it's literally very much how to a manual, a hands on. It's it is a the beginnings of a textual manual, of, of, sure. of an instruction manual. Yeah. Totally. And um, but what's what I found particularly charming about it is the sort of opening sort of introduction really the, yep. the prelude to the actual hands-on stuff yeah where she 
beautifully says there are several gentlemanly pursuits, yeah. right? Hawking, birding, hunting, right? And she and she says this is why it's one of them might be good and this one but what her frame though is that Solomon right yeah. in yeah. his in his parables Solomon tells us that we should do something with our bodies and our minds that make us feel good and better. Yeah. So, so it, I mean, it immediately embeds this physical activity, which she goes to great lengths to describe. It's very physical. It is, I mean, yeah. And, and, and it embeds it in a kind of morality. It embeds it in a kind of ethic. Um, yes, and it's holistic. It's yeah. like, it's like a holistic approach to like mental and physical health, yeah. right? Um, you will not need medicine yeah. if you take care of yourself, is, if you... Yeah, and she calls it a disport, like a recreational activity. Yeah. But it's one that is like, it brings balance to your life, it brings you happiness. And she explains why fishing is the best one. Well, she not only explains why fishing is the best one, she explains why the other ones are garbage. They're not garbage, but no, they're not good. I, I'm, I, I, I don't know. I mean, when she describes hawking... Uh, well, let's, I mean, let's start with her description of hunting, right? So she begins... Um, by talking about hunting, uh, and and the you know she she the the right noble Duke of York, late called Master of the Game, has described mirths of hunting, but then she says to me, hunting is a great labor. The hunter must all day run and yeah. follow his hounds, and there's traveling and sweating, sweating and full sore he bloweth until his lips bli- like he plays his I trumpet love it. so loud that his no, lips. No, keep going. This is a great sentence. When he went in Middle English. Uh, wait, wait, so, so, so the hunter, the hunter, must, the hunter must all day run and follow his hundus, traveling and sweating full sore. Hey, bloweth till his lippus blister. And when he went, he'd be a har full often. It is a hedgehog. Yeah, that's <laughs> <what> <laughs> he it. And when he come at home at even. I mean, so sometimes he thinks it's a rabbit and it's a hedgehog. Yeah. And then he comes home and his clothes are wet and they're fi- and he's lost some it's, of his hounds. And, and, and the thorns and, have torn his clothes. No, it's and so and so then she she concludes and she says truly may seem it that this is not the best sport and game yeah. of the said four. Yeah. Then she talks about hawking. Yeah. Uh, and she, she says that very hawking, short shrift. Yeah. She's like hawking's not so great either because you can whistle and crow until you're you know you have a sore a thirst. Yeah. And your hawk may not come back. Yeah. And you know so it's not the best one. And then fowling she seems to have a little bit more patience for but it's not good in the winter and it's you, no. you can set the traps and you can't get them and then you can go hungry. And then she says doubtless you. Think that I'm going to say the same thing about fishing, but check it. But fishing rocks, and yeah. she talks then about the ways in which fishing, in some way, it mitigates the same kinds of losses that you have in these other sports. Yeah. So yeah. So with fishing, yes, you can lose a fish, but there's lots of fish. You could lose a hook, but we'll tell you how to make hooks. Yeah. You could lose your bait, but that's okay. Yeah. And the other thing is that when you fish, she says. You want to fish alone, yep. quietly, yep. by yourself, looking at the flowers, the listening to the birds, everything. Walking smells in the nice. meadow, you walk in the, you, you're behind the bush yeah. so the fish don't see you, yeah. or else they might not bite. Yeah. And you're there by yourself, and you can say a little prayer, and you can give yourself to God, and then you catch a fish, and you can. Eat. And it's super fun. And it's fun. Yeah, yeah. No, I. This is what's so charming about it's, it. It's lovely. It makes fishing a sort of meditative fully embodied but also intellectual pursuit 
and, and you mentioned the God part. It's like, it's remarkably a-religious, this text. It is. There's it's... scarcely a mention of Jesus or God or salvation or whatever. There's a little bit about like a good pastime keeps you from doing bad things or, you know, that like doing something that's wholesome like this is good for the soul. But there is not, she's not preachy about it. No. It's very, I mean, if this was really a nun, right, writing a, treatise about fishing which i love i love the fly fishing nun sorry let's make a movie you know the fly fishing nun like the flying nun. a river i always have to some pun on a river runs through it um th- th- she really makes it this holistic pursuit that is like meditative and quiet and lovely and that's what i like about it the other thing that i like about it i have to say is that um is is the ethos of, of sort of stewardship and Oh totally. Almost I mean what we what we could almost call kind of proto ecology um, that exists here at the end. Um, the, at the end of the text. At the end of the text. So we're cutting out the large middle that David wants to ignore because it's a fifteenth century feature, <laughs> which is page after page oh, after page. Painstaking detail. Of detailed of, way. How to how to like if I am ever lost in the wilderness, I am gonna take this with me and I'll be able to fish and live forever. There you go. How to make a pole, how to like make your line, how to make your lures, what baits to use, when to fish, what 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 time of day to fish, what to fish with at those times of day. The twelve impediments it's, that cause the fish not to bite. Yeah. The six different ways that you should not fish. Yeah. I mean the, the the different colors of the lines and when mm. and what months and what waters they're appropriate Seriously. to use. It, it is mind-numbingly long-winded, but it is mind-numbingly boring. But at the same time, it it is it is readable. Yeah, it is straightforward. Yeah. And again, I mean, if it's I'm, more readable than Lidgett. It's more <laughs> it's more readable than so much 15th century poetry. I do love me some Hockley, but it is more readable than Lidgett. I mean, seriously, I would rather read about how to like dig through the barnyard or oak galls to find the right bug from her than like the 23rd thousandth through 25th thousandth line of a Lydgate poem. The other thing that I liked, and, and one of the reasons that I found it charming... Sorry, Lydgateians, although I mean, we don't have any of those listening. There might be. We've got 30 or so listeners these days. Do we? I mean, I think some of them listen more than once because they're probably... The 30 or 28 of us me. I just put it on repeat. Thank you. boost my numbers. That's, no, that's, that's, that's good. No, I mean, but the, one of the things that I find charming about it is the sort of common sense element of it, right? And so there's a section when she's talking about live bait. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And with the live bait, she's like, for most of these things, you should just keep the live bait in the environment that it's going to be in until you're ready to use it. Then you put, so, so like, you, you know, you have a piece of, like, kazumatsu or something with little maggots in it, and, and you, you carry, carry that with you. I don't think and, that that's what she And did. then you, you yank the maggot out, right? And then uh-huh. you put it on your hook and so forth. But she says, this is not true of three things, and they are... Bumblebees, yeah. wasps, and hornets. Don't fuck with them. <laughs> don't, don't, don't keep them alive. I she love how she calls... They're not bumblebees. They're humblebees. Humblebees. I know. They're sweet. Oh, my it's God. So it's sweet. It's, it's I charming. Know. It's charming. It is charming. And so, you know, that... I, I mean, I just sort of like those sort of aspects of the book. Yes. But the other part of it that I like, and this is, you know, you talked about the introduction as sort of providing a, um, uh, <laughs> a kind of uh, ethos. I mean, maybe it's... I mean, I think it is a spiritual ethos, you know, even sure. if it's not no, like it a sort of it's not explicitly Christian religious. heavy. But I mean, it, it is there. It, there is a spiritual ethos that fishing is a part of 
you know, the health of body and soul. Yes. And then... Mensana, yeah. So. Yeah. And then the, the, the sort of the outro here is, you know, very much Ethical. about... I moderation love, and yeah. ethics don't fish in a poor man's pond i love that babe. right don't fi- don't take fish out of, out of someone else's fish trap right break yeah. don't break down people's hedges don't nope. break you know don't overfish there's something don't, about stewardship and care yeah and, and a balanced approach to the earth and i mean i may be overplaying it but like no i don't i don't know I that think you there's are. something there's something about it that is uh really kind of attentive and aware about what her practice might do or mean in the world. I mean, so she says also, ye shall not be too ravenous Mm -hmm. in talking of your said game as too much at on time, which ye may lichtly do, if ye do in every point, as this present treatise showeth you in every point, which should lichtly be occasion to destroy your own disports and other manus also. Yeah. If you read this book, you're going to be so good at catching fish that you could overfish a lake or a pond but you like that. that. But don't. You could, but don't. Yeah. So there is that sort of, you I know, that. there is an ethics that, that appends to this book that I yes. really enjoy. And there is also, you know, in as much as there is a kind of spiritual and sort of religious overtone that exists here, um, there is also the sheer pleasure of this Definitely. thing. And so one of the, you said, where's the literary here? All right, right? I'm ready So for my favorite line, it's on page 36, if, you, if you're looking at this edition. If so you're you know, following at home. Uh, in, in this sort of Google Books edition that they <laughs> dug up, right? Um, There's a lot of editions available online. There are. If you want to read this, it well, is Well, and you there. can go to the Beinecke, and, and it's digitized, fully digitized, so you can look at the manuscript as well. It might um, be harder to read. It's <laughs> significantly harder to read. But she says, and also, and this is where she's telling you, you know, that it's shameful to, to take other pe- fish out yep. of other people's yeah, pots. Yeah. You rob him, and don't do that which thieves and bribers do, mm-hmm. and you'd be punished for your evil deeds by hanging by the neck. That's not quite as charming. Um, you know. No, but this it's, it equates... Um, our approach to the land, to the sea, to the fish, with like, like overuse is criminal. Yeah, which is like, I mean, something we could all maybe learn from. Yeah, I'm just saying. Go I, on. I, I go. I on. hear what you're saying. I'm but ready for your literary says, passage. And also, if ye do in leak manner, as this treatise showeth you, if you do what this treatise shows you, ye shall have no need. To yeah. talk of other menace. You'll have no need to take other men's fish. Whilis ye shall have enough of your own talking, if ye list to labor therefore. Which shall be to you a very pleasure, and this is the part that I like. I like it, okay. To say the fair, bricked, sheening, scalded fishes, deceived, be your crafty menace, and drawing upon land. You will see, and you'll have fun watching the, 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 the shining... Scaled fishes deceived the fair, by your craftiness. Fair, bright, shining scales. It's just fishes. lovely. Yeah, it's nice. It's and then true. don't break anybody's hedges. Yeah, right. That like too. it's it, so it has this aspect of it, which I really appreciate. Again, this is not great literature. It is, I think. I mean, and I'm not stranded in the wilderness right now. I'm, you know, in my you know small apartment in Burnaby and enjoying. If I want fish, I'm not an angler. 
Um, if I want fish, I will go to a really good fish mart and I'll get a nice fresh piece, um, or I'll just eat this little piece of lemon that you've cut into fish shape. Um, it's my salmon-shaped lemon peel. You didn't, you, the pike, the carnivorous pike? Uh, well, well, let's, well, we'll get to that. Okay. I just want to say that I like, the, the passage I like is just after, I also like this passage right after it, which gets to the sort of like most, the thesis statement of her work, right? Yeah. Also, ye shall not use this foresaid crafty disport for no covetousness, um, to then the increasing and sparing of your money only, but principally for your solace and to cause the health of your body and specially of your soul. Yeah. Right? Like, this isn't for you to gain. It's not for you to save money, which you can do because you're eating fish instead of buying stuff from the butcher or whatever, but it's for your body and your soul. It's for your health. Your health in the wholest sense. Yep. So I, I really like that. But speaking of the fish-shaped orange peels, or lemon peels, um, I had a question for you. Yeah. I have two questions for you. One light, one maybe a little harder. First one, of the fish she describes, which is your favorite fish? Speaking just as as a consumer and eater of fish. And that's If you want to answer that way, sure. I do like me a good trout. Okay. okay. But I mean, as a, as a uh, Vancouver transplant, which is, I guess, just to say, you know, a Vancouver Everyone. dweller. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I do uh, really love a salmon. Uh, and That's so, cute. you know, and she starts with the salmon. Yeah, it's, uh, the, it's, king the, of it's fish. the most noble of fishes, she says. And yes. she begins with that. Yeah. She, <laughs> she ends, however, with the pike. Who she does not like. And she doesn't like the pike. And, and again, this the, the sort of moral thread weaves right through the fish. Um, yeah. And so yeah. she doesn't like the pike, not because it's not tasty. She says it's a good fish. It's, it's you know, it's a badass, though. But have she you says, caught a pike? Pike are scary. Have I caught a pike? No, I have, I have caught pike. <laughs> Pike are motherfuckers. They have needly teeth. Okay. They're long. They look like snakes. They're scary as hell. I but understand she why she doesn't like, like it because yes. not because he's scary as hell, not because he's a mean-looking motherfucker, but because he devoreth so many as well yeah, he's of his ravenous. own kinda as of other. Yeah, he love him the less. I love him the less. And so the, the, the idea that the pike itself has a kind of moral valence, that the, that the fish is not participating in yeah. the kind of stewardship and ethos it is that a, she's encouraging you to participate I'm in. I'm telling you, if the pike had a wallet, <laughs> the wallet would be the wallet Sam Jackson has in Pulp bad Fiction that says bad motherfucker on it. That's the pike. So what's your more serious question? My, mo I want to answer my question first. Oh, so what, yeah, was, what's your Not my favorite fish Are you a flounder man? No, not my He's favorite. He's a very crafty biter. I love to catch salmon. I've been doing it my whole life. I, I love salmon and trout to eat. But I will tell you right now, my favorite fish in this, in this treatise is the tench. Okay. Why? Two reasons. One, it heals all the other fish. She says... I can't. I don't have the passage right now. It's on page 27. 27. The tench. The tench is on 27. It is a good fish. It's a good fish. And more haleth all manner of other fish. Yeah, it heals the other fish. That then hurt if yeah. they may come to him. So it's like a doctor fish. Yeah, it's a doctor fish. It's a doctor fish. And then the other thing I love about the tench is that the first bait she's really into for this fish is bread with butter and honey on it. Yep. It likes toast. It likes toasted bread with honey. How can you not love the tench? But here's my more serious question, all right? Which is more of the taking it out of angler land and putting it more in um, our medievalist scholar land. Oh my God. And that is, how do we historicize this? Can we historicize this text? I know we don't really have a good date, but if we're thinking mid to late 15th century, like 
how do we see this as a text that responds to the concerns, the dynamics, the drives, the forces at work in the mid to late 15th century? How do we think about this text as, oh, I don't know, part of the frickin' War of the Roses? I mean, I, the, the glib answer, and maybe it's not so glib. Because I don't think anyone's doing that work. I mean, I didn't read the 1992 dissertation. It's not doing this work. I mean, Matt. it does a little of it, but not, you know, I mean, it, it, it's mostly focused on it. It, it takes a rhetorical approach mm -hmm. to it. Um, I mean, I, I think the... I the think reader, listener, listener, real quick, inter interruption. The drink was strong. <laughs> <laughs> the drink was strong, and I did not have a ready answer for this. I should have, because I could have seen this question coming. I mean, there's a part of me that says that the 15th century is to the 14th century what the sort of mid-1970s was to the 1960s, which is to say Extrapolate. that it's a kind of, it's a kind of hangover. Um, mm. That it, you know that 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 you know the sort of radical moves in sort of the sort of social movements, the radical moves in terms of sex, in terms of uh, you know in terms of music, in particular, that's expressed in this really sort of dynamic late '60s music gives way to the fucking Eagles, right? And that we're just listening to Linda Ronstadt by the time we're getting because because you can do it. It's it's easy. It's slower. It's 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 radio perfect. And so there's a way in which I find the sort of calmingness of this treatise mm -hmm. uh, a kind of balm for uh, a very stormy beginning of the 15th century, um, that maybe there is a way in which this treatise, which tells you to take care of one another, which tells you to take care of the land, which tells you to take care of your society, which your tells you to feed fish, honey, and bread, that they will heal you, you know, is a, is a, is a reaction to what was an extremely violent 14th century and frankly, an extremely violent Mid fifteenth. Well, mid fifteenth century is not pretty. No, so the I mean, if we, in the if we imagine War. this, if we imagine this as post Wars of the Roses, um, or I mid, would, or I wonder if it's not doing similar kinds of work that Mallory's text is doing. Um, where you know he sort of says take the good from this, right? That yeah. there's a, there's a way in which this text and this sort of ameliorative quality that this text has mm -hmm. is a kind of antidote to the the extreme challenges that we saw in the 14th century in a sort of post-plague uh, proto-capitalist environment, and 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 the extreme challenges that um, that the literature itself seemed to respond to, and almost in ways that we would almost uh, you know imagine as modernist or even postmodernist. Um, you know, with the, the, the kind of disruption of form and so forth, is there a way that we're able to see this as a, a kind of retreat from that or a reaction to that? Is this, a, is, this, is this text a kind of social salve? I can, okay, so I think that that was my second answer to this question. Um, so your I, first answer is when society falls apart, you need to learn to fish? Well, or is that your third I, answer? that's my, maybe my, now my third. <laughs> what I was thinking about is... A little bit because she contextualizes it with hawking and 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 hunting, yeah. Um, and it it gets appended to this to this book of Saint Albans, which is uh, has heraldry in it. Like that, I I saw it as a sort of text about identity formation in terms of gentleman gentlemanness. You know the the like yeah. the gentlemanly identity. Like that. What do gentlemen do? And this is something that I think. 
is at work in the 14th century. We certainly know that the aristocracy can produce their identity in part by hunting, for instance, right? right? And, and certainly by heraldry. Um, but this text seems to be extending that out, stretching that ability to ennoble oneself through their past times um, to, to make a claim on a kind of noble, gentlemanly identity in the midst of a war that is, you know, largely, first of all, it's about aristocratic and it's about royal identity, power, etc. So I kind of wondered if it was part of that ongoing process we see beginning in the 14th century, which would, which would conceptually link up with what you're talking about in terms of the hangover effect, 80, you know, whatever. But the other thing that... <laughs> But the, I mean, do, you, do you see in that respect? Do you see it as, as sort of gesturing toward the, the kind of consolidation of almost sort of royal state power that we'll see under the Tudors? I, I mean, don't do you know. See it I see it more. I see it see more it? leaning. I mean, I I, th I think it actually decenters some of that power because it makes this gentlemanly pursuit available to anyone who can read. You know what I mean? Like it's a it 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 doesn't like. Hunting in like the 14th century and beyond, right, is a, as a is an aristocratic pursuit, right? Like think about Bertillac and in in Gawain and the Green Knight, right? Right. This is like what badass aristocrats do, right? This is what these people are about, and they make their name and their reputation, and it's you know it's in there with heraldry and and stuff like that, tournaments and jousts. I don't know. But this is more like this takes that and says like, look, that you can access this identity, but it is, uh, it's more available. You just right. have to take these sticks and glue them together the fucking right way, and go out and not bug your neighbors as you stand in a bush and cast over a pool. Um, so I wonder about that sort of like the more fluid and and the more fluid possibilities for this, you know, gentlemanly identity but also that in a way it opens it up. The, the, the second thing that you were talking about I think is especially true, and I think that I can speak, I weirdly can speak from, sounds really strange, but I found this text a balm this week, right? We've literally witnessed, I don't know what people know, historic, you know where we are in terms of things, but like we, we literally saw two horrific public murders of multiple brown bodies in public safe spaces yeah. in the last 12 days right we have seen this and all like like reading this text was like was like a retreat it was like an escape from the freaking carnage that has become american politics and i think that if i think about this text in terms of the war of the roses i could see I mean, it, it aligns with with the kind of monastic life that a nun, if she was the author, right. would 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 she could she could understand that, right? The monastic life was a treat, a retreat from history. It was a retreat from yeah. the world in a lot of ways. It was an opting out. Yeah. And, and if and, and if she was, I mean, I think it's I think it's worth noting that if she was in fact who we think she was, and if she was a nun, uh, if she did sort of go into this priory, then she was very likely, uh, you know, an aristocratic sure. woman before sure. she went into the priory, before she took yeah. her vows, and so she would have, 
it would have been for her a very real retreat from yeah. that social economic milieu. Yes. Milieu. Yeah. And, totally. and, and it would have, it would have, I think represented, you know, for her that same yeah. bomb. This yeah. is not somebody who was given to a priory as a child um, that didn't know hunting, hawking and so forth. I mean, this is somebody who she came knowing came knowing. Yeah. And there's a moment where uh, she's, she mentions that she both has read other books about fishing Yep. And talk to people, right? Yep. Which was another charming moment. She's like, I've talked to a lot of people who say you can use this bait, but I've also read that you can use this bait, but I don't know if this really works. Like, there's she is in a community of people who are doing this similarly. So I found that the text in its sort of, as I guess, charmingness as a, a sort of lovely retreat from the world. It was a good text for, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. It was a good text for this week. It was rough. Um, and I have one more thing that I don't know if we should address, but if we're going to address it, we have to do it quickly because then we have to wrap, which is I have a real question. We, we're at the end of the text now. so And this is for you as much as myself, which is I there's this book historical moment at the end, uh, right at the bottom of 37. Um, and for because that this present treatise should not oh, I come that. Yeah, to I the haunts of each idle person, which will desire it if it were imprinted alone be itself and put in a little pamphlet. Therefore, I have compiled it in a greater volume of diverse books. Yeah. So she embeds it in all these other like, sort of moral treaties because... She wants it to be a part. Again, it's a part of the sort of holistic approach. Yeah, to- but it's 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 exclusive. Yeah. Right. Like, so I was making a case that this text opens up this gentlemanly identity to, to you know, to more folk. But she's literally saying like, if you can't afford the whole book, I don't want you to have this as a pamphlet. But I, I don't know. I mean, you say if she can't. Aff- I mean, I know that the, the effect of that is if you can't afford the whole book. But it seems that the intent of that is that, well, and I guess this speaks to your point too, that the right people get a hold of this book. That, yeah. it, that it not be used to catch, you know, a fish bonanza at the expense of, you know, some poor guy's fish traps, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so the, the, the intent seems to be that we would not, that she doesn't make these, you know, tips and tricks available to any Tom, Dick, and Harry, that right. it's, it's it's people that really want to fish for the right reasons. Yeah, uh, are the ones that are going to have recourse to her knowledge, to her book, and to her book pamphlet, her treatise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, anyway, but, it's an interesting book historical question. I'd be interested in um, when we see this this individual manuscript version. Yeah, how often is it appended, not appended, printed with, not printed with? other books because it she clearly seems to be thinking in terms of its publication yeah and i'm not sure what that manuscript i mean i'm not sure if that manuscript version is itself a unique witness or if there are other manuscript versions of this treatise running around out there i i don't know that it seems well yeah so anyway if it was printed there's going to be a lot more reprints yeah it'd be interesting to see what it attaches to i believe it's time to rate it's up to you oh that's right all right, I gotta rate the text, um, and I'm gonna rate this uh, text on a scale of one to four disportis. <laughs> right, right. Quatuor disportis is what we're talking about here. 
Um, the first three, eh, disposable, not that great. But the fourth, Desportis, is fishing. And it's awesome. And I'm going to give it four. Wow. I'm going to give it four Desportis because it was a balm for my weary, battered soul this week. I really kept imagining J Dame Juliana Barnes or whatever her name is, like writing this text. I wanted to believe in a nun with her habit on fly fishing. <laughs> I just, there's so many things about it that are appealing. And I needed appeal. I needed charming. I, it was great that way. So I'm going to give it four out of four Disportis. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's high praise. Uh, yeah, for Dame Julian, I, you know. I, yeah, and for a 15th century text, because I, there's not <laughs> anything in the 15th century that I could barely you're tolerate. You're in trouble. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. Um, the 15th century mafia is coming after us. You sure. don't know. Sure, they are. Um, I, I see now. I feel pressure to. No I was, was going to give it three to sports. Don't give it three. Um, because again, it what it makes what it what it contains in charm. What it contains in, you know, honest to God, survival skills. I mean, I, I would not Does. mind, again, having this with me as I'm, you know. If we drop you off in the bush in northern BC, right. you're going to want this Dame is, Juliana Barnes. I'd rather with you. have Dame Juliana Barnes than, than Chaucer. <laughs> or than Chaucer. I mean, Chaucer would be like, ball oh. for the soul here. Um, and so, you know, for that reason, I, it, it, it did not, the, the prose treatise, it, it did not have a sort of aesthetic. Um, it, it has moments. very little it aesthetic, moments, but there was very little aesthetic, and I, I, I love me some aesthetic. So I'm going to give it three out of four. Excellent. But it's, it's, it was, it was great. It was, I did, I expected it to be a zero, uh, a zero. I know. To, you yeah. sold it like a zero. I sold it as a You're like, oh, fishing like, treaties from the 15th Matt, century. I got a fishing treaties from the 15th century. Wait until you. Well, let's little did we show. know that Dame Juliana. It's kind of lovely. It was so, great. All yeah. right, so rate the cocktail. Cocktail was good. Cocktail was strong. <laughs> in terms of its it was level like like in its brutality. It was eaten my face, which I can no longer feel. And now I am working on this weak beer, which is not weak enough. Oh, it's um, pretty weak beer. It does not matter, having followed what I can only assume was... Ten shots of Denise. <laughs> two and a half shots of Bombay Sapphire. And was the... Um, I'm assuming that the, the Hercules also had an alcohol content. It does have some alcohol, but it's really it's a it's a vermouth, it's, so it's like a nineteen. Yeah, it's like twenty like about. Okay. It's about twenty, but it's hard to it's hard to know how alcoholic the Hercules was because I made it right, and it's also got a lot of yerba mate in it, so you're getting that caffeine punch. So whatever it was, it is. Now, it's like having a Red Bull vodka. <laughs> it is now approximately quarter after four here in Vancouver, and I feel like I have been kicked in the face. So I am going to give that. Likewise, three oh. disportas. I liked the earthiness of it. I liked the color. I could not have another one. No, it's not built for a second one. <laughs> I would agree. I'm going to give it a three as well. It, it has a lot of the features I like. It's herby. It is potent. Um, I think I wanted more citrus. There's no sweetness and, and not even a tr not very much not even a trace. I know. If I made the Hercules again, I might put more pe orange peel or lemon. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, on even it. If, it, if the lemon twist had been more of like a lemon wheel, and you could squeeze like a little lemon squeeze in it. Yeah, maybe. But to... in any case, the Angler is not a bad cocktail. No, it's on point thematically. Three out of four. All right. All right. Thanks everyone for. Um, thanks everyone, and I mean one when I say <laughs> <Every> one. one. <laughs> each one of you um uh that was the 10th episode of the canterbury fails and we'll be with you next episode